Hello everyone, welcome to Sharing the Journey. I hope your holiday season has started off well. That feels really weird to say since I'm recording this at the end of October, but um, my plan is to put this up in December. So when I first started this podcast, there were two people that I knew I wanted to do this with. One was Cheryl, and you can go back and find hers. It was last, oh, I can't remember when, but I've only got like 15 episodes, so it won't be hard to find. <laughs> and the other was uh, this person that's with me now, Susan. And so, um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to this. So, um, Susan, why don't you um, start by telling us a little about yourself, um, maybe some of your hobbies, whatever you want to share. Yeah, things that I just enjoy and like doing with myself with other people both that kind of thing I love music and I think that's one of the things you and I have figured out that we share um, I have sung in choirs I've sung in um, groups when I was in college when I was younger I've sung in um, doing some recording work that kind of thing over my life in our family um, was musical, and so I just naturally came uh, about that because of that. We used to gather around the piano and sing four-part harmony and stuff, so it's pretty fun. And I love to read, and I enjoy doing some kind of writing. I've written a few articles for brochures and things like that, you know, nothing uh, published or any way in that form, although my father was a published poet. Oh, cool. Yeah, so he was a writer, and I used to read his poems to get to know him. You know, he was pretty quiet about himself. But So writing, and um, I love watching other people have fun with each other. That is one of my greatest joys, is enjoying other people's enjoyment. And there's a lot of things this we'll go into later that I'm not able to do, but I still love that other people can and watching. So I'm a big watcher. I'm pretty visual. I used to paint um, quite a bit. I was a fine arts major years ago and did a lot of painting and that kind of thing. Uh, my father also painted. So I came by that pretty naturally. But I haven't painted for a while. I'm thinking about getting back into that and trying a new um, area watercolor that I've never done before. I used to paint in oils and acrylics and stuff. So that's kind of a little bit about me. I like going to movies. I like going out to eat with friends and having conversations. Um, I enjoy book clubs and getting together with people and reading the same book and then having discussions. That's really fun. And of course, the number one book that we all read together is the Bible and getting together and having discussions about that because I love thinking about theology um, and where God is in all things, you know, how that's informing our lives too. So it's pretty fun to get together and and deepen our awareness of each other in that way, too. Okay, so you talked a little bit about your family. Um, tell me a little bit more about your childhood. What what influenced you? What shaped you besides music? Oh, yes. You mean the activities that we shared together, that kind of thing? Um, well, share, sharing what you and I have discovered with each other is that we were, we were both premature born. And um, I was in an incubator two and a half months. I was born six months, weighed two pounds. That was like a long time ago. So back then, there was always um, 
the concern about <clears throat> whether the child's getting enough oxygen, but um, that became kind of problematic for me in my early life, um, having pneumonia a number of times, that sort of thing. But I always knew that I was wanted. Um, in that incubator, I felt the love of God, and I believed with my whole being that that was because there was a nurse that came in after telling my parents, don't worry, I'm going to go in there and break the hospital rules, <laughs> and take her out of the incubator, and um, <clears throat> hold her. And she would do that every night and rock me in a rocking chair and sing over me and pray. And I've actually had memory of that experience. How do we do this? It's by um, more of a an informed memory through our senses and through our bodies. So I, you know, had conversations with my parents about that. And um, she wasn't supposed to do that. And she did it. And thank God, because I don't know what would have happened had that not happened. Because I did have the feeling that there was life outside of that incubator. And um, I was told that when my parents would come in and speak, I would turn my head in the direction of their voices. And um, so I think that had an awful lot to do with my early shaping um, was that I wanted to be a part of what was going on <clears throat> outside of me, not just within me, although, you know, as you know, being in that incubator gave us an awful lot of time to be in touch with ourselves. <laughs> yeah. I think I saw also that something that informed me is I saw the love of God being lived out by the way my parents related to each other. My dad was real introverted. He was very contemplative, quiet man. As I've told you, he was pretty gifted as an artist and a published poet and an engineer. So he had an engineer brain, liked math and you know, all of those high math things and uh, calculus and stuff, My, which I've never done, by the way. <laughs> um, my mother was the very opposite. <clears throat> she was incredibly extroverted. She had passion for everything she did. She played uh, organ, piano, violin, and musical saw. Now, the musical saw is when you take a saw and you get a violin bow and you turn it with the flat edge on the outside and you take the violin bow and rub it against the flat edge of a saw and you bend it and it actually plays music. She learned that from her father, the carpenter. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I know. Is that funny? She was pretty bright in her usage of language. She had a wide range of language. So I always loved words. I would look words up in the dictionary and wonder what she said or what was said. And in high school, she said she was called the walking dictionary, so I'm not surprised. Um, she taught piano, organ, and voice in our home. Our living room was a music studio. It was not a normal living room. It was the place where she worked. And um, so I always was listening to students learning to sing, learning to play the violin. That was the hardest one to listen to. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but she loved it. And um, one of the one of the parts of that was, um, I'll go into that later. Um, I just love that they loved the indifferences in each other. She could laugh at, you know, things that were irritating, and he could too, you know, usually followed her laughing. And they taught 
they could uh, tangle with each other and get in arguments, but I always saw them make up. So that informed me that <clears throat> people's conflict with each other wasn't fatal, that people could repair things. And that became kind of my value, uh, was to have people pre- you know, repair things, not leave it hanging where people had to have fear or angst. Um, and that I saw in my home. Um, I think my values were internalized pretty quickly about that because of the climate of our home. And the thing that really, really kind of rings through to me today is I can never understand why people don't like differences because I think differences are great, and they did too, and that's just kind of what they showed me, that because people are different, they don't have to think there's something wrong with that. They can say, oh, that's wonderful. Uh, That other person brings something into my life that I wouldn't have on my own. I only had one brother. Uh, My mom lost three children between my brother and I. So by the time I was about four and a half years old, um, my brother was born, and he was just playful and full of life and kind of effervescent. He loved to joke around and make the family laugh. That's what he would do. He would go get hats out of the closet and put on overcoats and take on characters and talk like them and get us to all just crack up with each other. And he really, really enjoyed that. I was a little more quiet and serious because I think I had a serious beginning. And that, I think, makes a difference for people that go to that depth of starting out with um, some pretty big things to have to overcome. But I loved the way he was. I was sort of dubbed the daydreamer. You know, in class, um, I would be called upon by a teacher after she'd been talking about something, and I wouldn't know what to say because I, my mind had already gone off onto some other ideas about it because you know? <laughs> I was just fascinated, you know, and I would wonder about things and be curious. And so I wasn't really as present in the moment when I was being spoken to for the immediacy of the question, which then let people think that I would never be able to go to college, that I better take typing because I was going to need a clerical job. <laughs> I'd never be a college student. Oh, gosh. Um, another thing that informed me, we lived in California when we moved back to the East Coast. I was born in the East Coast. We moved back to the East Coast. We were there for another year because of my father's work taking us there. And that put us around all of our relatives again, grandparents and aunts and uncles and cousins and the feeling of belonging to a larger group I loved I just loved it and so I'm really thankful for that year but it was really hard to have to move back and move away from them Um, that was a pretty tough thing for me because I was just starting eighth grade I didn't know anybody Um, the schools were very different I thought that here in California um, people's expressions were really different than on the East Coast where I lived. I mean, it was pretty formal where I lived. You know, people would not go out with hair rollers in their hair. You know, never would that have happened. And here on the first day um, when we moved back, I was sitting on my porch and this lady walked by with curlers in her hair and I ran in the house. I said, Mom, come look. Come look what's going on outside. And she just says, Wow. 
that's <laughs> different. <laughs> so it was a cultural change as well as a loss for uh, being around family. The school I went to <clears throat> in seventh grade was a high school. It was seventh through twelfth grade, and so a lot of the activities there were like you know advanced games, football, baseball, that kind of thing, and they would have. Um, town parades if we won and we'd all ring cowbells and uh, dances and things like that um, in junior high here it was separate 7th, 8th, ninth, and then the separate 10th, 11th, 12th for high school so we didn't have any of those sporting events or celebrations and I think they have saw cops once in a while or something like that but very very different I felt like I was with a more mature group and I was <clears throat> on the east coast and I felt like we were back kind of doing younger sorts of things um i didn't feel like the education the kids took education as seriously here as they did there part of that was i came from a family where uncles and aunts were um teachers in fact one of my uncles was the high school coach for uh football my other uncle that walked me to school uh, was a mathematics teacher at that school. So I was kind of surrounded by them, even where I went away from home to go to school. So they were always there and interested in how I was doing, quote, unquote. Let's see, we've got another 15 minutes. Um, <clears throat> I was about a month and a half into 10th grade when I was a passenger in an automobile um, that was a brand new gift to one of my neighbors whose mom had just passed away and uh, she had just started college and she came over to my house and she wanted my friend and I to go for just a little ride in her car to show us her car and my mom felt uncomfortable about it but she sort of gave way because she was aware that this gal's mom had just passed and this was a gift that her mom had wanted her to have. So she allowed it, even though she felt a little bit uncomfortable. Um, well, to make a long, long night story short, um, we were hit by a drunk driver almost head on and he was driving a truck. So I'd only been in 10th grade for a month and a half <coughs> and I was in bed for a year. And I was on crutches for another year. So that really informed my growing up years. Uh, I was back um, sort of in a, a cloistered sense in bed and um, not able, of course, to do anything other than just study. And I got to be a pretty good student that year because I had tutoring. A lady came in my house and tutored me. Um, and that's all I had to do is study. And so I got very good grades that year. So... Um, what what were the injuries? Oh my goodness, they were so uh, extreme. I I woke up in a body cast. My hip, oh, wow. yeah, yeah. <clears throat> my left hip was dislocated uh, to the point that the bone, hip bone, was in the center of my stomach. My arm was resting on it, and they didn't know uh, if they would have to do a some kind of a replacement surgery on my hip at that point. My <clears throat> foot, I saw the truck coming at us. I put my feet out and my left foot went under the brake. She realized she couldn't stop the car, so she was jumping up and down on the brake. So had this incredible 
and, and I didn't even know that was going on at the time. It, you know, it happened so fast. She's jumping up and down on the foot. It's mangling and mashing and uh, crushing the bone bones. And uh, as we hit, we hit. She tried to then beat the truck across, and we were going pretty fast. Um, hit threw me up in the air, and my foot just gave. So my actually, my foot was almost hanging off. It was really, really bad. So bad, bad, bad. Part of the pivotal bone in the ankle was um, in the street after they moved me on the gurney, and they actually picked it up and put it back in my body. Oh, wow. I know. It was a pretty incredible story. <clears throat> the ironic part for me, Shelley, when I lived in Gettysburg, when I was a seventh grader, I went to the movies one day alone, and I saw this movie called A Man Called Peter, which was the story of Peter Marshall, the, the pastor of the chaplain, at the time that this um, story was about, and his his wife Catherine Marshall, who is a writer, um, wrote the story of their lives together. And she had gone through an illness where she was in bed for a year, and it moved me so much about how she went through that time. And she was agonizing. She was trying everything she could think of doing. She wanted to know that she was being as holy as she should be and not complaining and all of these things and she realized that the best prayer to pray pray was Lord if this is your will for my life that I would be in bed forever I'm willing and so she called that her prayer of relinquishment and it kind of sounds like if I can remember it correctly oh God my God I'm willing to remain here as I am in bed for the rest of my life if it be your will, do with me as you want. And she was completely healed the next day. Oh, wow. Yeah, isn't that powerful? She was absolutely willing just to let it be whatever God wanted. And that she believed that she would have had more joy <clears throat> that way than fighting against, uh, against it. So I, I thought of that when I was in bed for a year. And that story that I saw when I was a 7th grader helped me get through that year. Is that interesting that I'd seen that movie? That was the gift God knowing all things I'm sure gave that to me so I could use it later. I don't know how else to think about it. It's just what I did with it. Hmm. The amputation of my leg was an opinion of two surgeons that saw me. Uh, my mother... Uh, I told you how feisty she was. She fired both of them. She said, no, <laughs> get out of here. <laughs> no, I'm not going to let you do that. And she found, um, through our family doctor, the name of a surgeon that they got in touch with in the middle of the night somehow. <clears throat> and he was a believer. He was a very strong Christian surgeon. And he said to her after looking at me, he says, I don't know what we'll be able to do in any of the possibilities for her leg, but I can promise you one thing, I'll do everything I can. Hmm. So my mom said, that's all I want. So God bless him. He uh, instructed me over the years to prepare myself because most likely I would need to be in a wheelchair by the age of 40. That's what he said. And so it was really interesting to me that not only did I not say, Lord, these are the words that you're speaking, I'm willing to sit in a wheelchair. I said, 
If God wants me to sit in a wheelchair, I will. And if he doesn't, I won't. So those things became kind of a, another informative thing um, in my life that I didn't believe that we had to agree with something without knowing, predetermining. And I certainly wouldn't want to agree with anything that was a lie and not uh, something that God would want for me. So I, I learned a new tool to not agree with something just for the sake of agreement. I think that really informed me too. So I've got the two things, the prayer of relinquishment, your will, whatever you want me to do. And and I'm not sure about that. I don't think I'm going to agree with that. And you're not in a wheelchair. No, and I'm double that age. (laughs) I just had my 80th birthday. So what kind of limitations do you have now on your... With With my leg. Yeah. Well, um... Walking is my exercise, <laughs> and uh, that's pretty much yeah. That's pretty much what I can do with my left leg. They don't know how I'm walking, Shelley. The the last doctor I saw said, "I don't know how you're still walking. You don't even have one good joint in there." And I said, "Well, I'm walking by the grace of God," because I was not expected to be able to be walking um, forty years ago. I can't do all the things that I used to do. The things that I really had to give up, uh, the things that I used to do, um, were things like, oh gosh, what did I used to do? I, I used to like to ice skate a whole lot. I was just taking tennis lessons before um, this happened. I loved to dance. Um, I loved bicycling, riding my bike. I had not ever done any really serious hiking, although I liked to take walks and look around at the beauty of the nature and around us and all of those sorts of things. But in terms of um, limitations, pretty limited. Yeah, I, I, I always said I always wanted to walk into heaven, so I guess maybe I will be doing that. <laughs> I didn't want to get carried into it. I wanted to walk into heaven. <laughs> and I wanted to walk here on earth in the way that was uh, walking toward toward heaven. But I loved ice skating. I just loved it. I I used to take my allowance money and go to an ice rink every Saturday and practice. And I was taking lessons. My little childlike wish was to be in the ice capades. <laughs> I thought I'd be an ice skater, you know, that was funny. And I can't wear high heels, of course. I can't wear any kind of dress um, shoe or anything like that. Um, I'll never be able to probably run. Although I run, I think, on the inside. <laughs> Sometimes my mouth runs. <laughs> <All of that. laughs> yeah, so so how did you I don't want to wear this how have you coped with all that loss and that limitation besides the you know being in bed for a year and praying that and you know, yeah oh so. yeah well that was definitely the the top uh, of the mountain part the underlying part that's under the waterline I would sob and cry and and just be so bereft um that I could not participate at a time and an age when everything was opening up, you know, when people are just starting to do things and and have shared life together. 
So I think what I did in order to have shared life together is I went to enjoying other people's enjoyment. I mean, the joy for me was infectious. And I got some of that in my family just because, like I said, my brother was much more extroverted and I would watch him and I go, that's really cool that he does that. So I think I brought that into my life um, with peers. I enjoyed watching other people dance. I, I actually was invited to go to a dance um, my senior year when I was <clears throat> back again to a formal dance and I had a pretty dress on and all that and I was on crutches and the person that I went with uh, asked me if I'd mind if he danced with other people and I said no but all the people started piling their coats and purses on me to watch for the night oh. Oh, God. <laughs> so I became kind of the coat holder and I thought well but I'm here you know I think the fact that I got to go out and have that experience going to it was helpful, but I but I also couldn't do fully what they did, but yeah. I also loved watching people enjoy. We're going to wrap this first part up. We'll be back on the 15th with part two.